Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I mean, no one plans to get sick. And yet, here we are. My name is Matthew Zachary. A quarter century ago, I was given six months to live with a diagnosis of terminal brain cancer. For more than 15 years, I've been ranting and raving on the air about stupid cancer and now stupid healthcare, and I'm just getting warmed up. So let's all go make healthcare suck less together because you know what? We're all out of patience. Hey, that's the name of the show. Hey, guys, I have more of a, uh, a mellow show for you today. This is a bonus episode because my friend Marty, who happened to just be in New York City, stopped by my office and we just turned on the mics and had a very therapeutic conversation. So Marty Kaiser, who's been on the show twice in 2020 and 2021, early adopter, I guess. He's the founder and CEO of IV Bioholdings. He's the founder and chairman of Liquid Lung, Hepgene, Mamogen, He's a serial entrepreneur, which I think we learned is just an entrepreneur, but irrespective of all those incredible credentials, he's a human, he's a friend, he's a guy, he's a dad. Yes, we kind of start half the show with E.T. and 80s nostalgia, but I think you're used to that happening on the show when I talk to people. But we really dig deep into some of the emotions and the challenges and the life hacks of what are we trying to do in this world? How do we make a difference? What frustrates us? And how do we reconcile all these things at three in the morning when we get home, we want to hug our kids? Yogi Berra said, if life were easy, we'd all do it. I think that kind of sums up this show. I said I'd keep it simple. That maybe wasn't so simple, but I hope you enjoy my chat, my therapeutic chat with my friend, Marty Kaiser. Enjoy. All right, guys, listeners, uh, this is kind of a special little therapy bonus episode marty kaiser who was on the show god like two years ago like mid-pandemic i have no idea no early 21 early 21 that's still like mid-pandemic february 21 post-vaccination mid-pandemic february 21 i think was the first show i did and then liz and i came in studio and i think we were the first people to come back in studio and i think that was about a year ago that was was may yeah yeah speaking of pfizer vaccines yeah (laughs) (laughs) that allowed us to do that yeah, so Marty just happened to be in the city, and I just happened to be in the office, and we're just doing a, an ad hoc, kind of like a Gen X dad kids therapy show. Yeah. Lots to talk about, no agenda, and I hope you enjoy whatever the hell we're going to talk about for the next 30 minutes. <laughs> this is going to be good. And we were talking before the show about our kids, and this is not like the, the, the 80s were better and different. This is really like attention spans. Yeah. And I'll share with you that I had my kids watch E.T. It's the 40th anniversary. I 
almost had him watch him watch that movie like last Saturday, and I and by the time we got to a point where everybody was like finally sitting and ready to go, we all fell asleep, so we didn't watch it. But I literally almost introduced him to ET. I think I've had him watch every sort of '80s and '90s movie from my childhood except ET, so that's on the list. Does the older one prefer the '80s stuff or? They both like it, but they yeah, like the it. older one for sure. I mean, the older one loves Indiana Jones, and she loves Star Wars, and she loves—I mean, she loves the the Goonies. She loves all those. I'm things. really impressed though, because by today's standards, they're not very fast paced. Yeah, they're not. I mean, ET kind of opens really slow. Yeah, right. Just the Reese's Pieces and the guy it, with the keys in the it. forest yeah. and everything. And but my daughter lasted the whole movie. My son's like, "This is boring." And by the time he said <laughs> penis breath, he was out. <laughs> But she lasted the whole movie, and she's like, Daddy, why are you crying? Yeah. <laughs> it, I mean, I'm 48, just tearing up watching E.T. 40 years later. It's still the best movie oh, ever. I mean, it's one of those, and it's one of those sound, the scores. That, da, 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 da. I mean, it'll literally John bring you tears. One can pick the Mount Rushmore of John Williams scores. There's Jaws, there's Indiana Jones, there's Schindler's List, Jurassic Park, E.T. Yep. E.T.'s yep. e. top. Yeah, I don't think there was a single better score than E.T. I don't know if I could rank John Williams. I mean, they're all... They're all amazing. He has yet to And it is funny fail. that all those movies that I mentioned that are my daughter's favorite are all John, John Williams. Williams scores. So yes. it is, you know, maybe it's all about the tune. Seriously, it really is. I, I mean, you just know them. <laughs> Pick any other film score guy and, and, and the theme. You don't have one. Now, Hans Zimmer is the only close second, but his stuff is very different. I mean, John well, Williams it's not, has really a very thematic, specific. thematic, though. Think of a theme to a movie. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's no doubt. So I'm glad my daughter at least experienced E.T. My I, I don't know when maybe my son when he gets to college one day. Well, I should probably watch these old nostalgic classic <laughs> films on Turner Classic Movies. Yeah, maybe when he sees a box of Reese's Pieces, it'll trigger some kind of you know happy moment for you him. You know the Reese's Pieces story about that movie, right? Mm-mm. They went to M&M's and M&M said, go fuck yourself. So then they went to Reese's and Reese's basically invented Reese's Pieces for the wow, movie. No way. Big win. Huge win. Big win. Win for humanity. <laughs> totally big win. Hey, had it not been for that, I probably wouldn't own a metabolic disease company focused on non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Uh, I see what you did there. <laughs> see what I did there. By the way, you know, you rewatch a movie at our age versus being, what, I was maybe 10 or 8, whatever it was. There's one particular moment where the guy with the keys uh, in the woods with the flashlights in the dark, he sees the Reese's Pieces. And he eats one. No way. You, he t- eats. you picked up what on What the hell's wrong with you? Why are you eating <laughs> right off the pieces? ground? I mean, first of all, E.T. touched them. Elliot touched them. They're lying in the woods for like a night. And he just eats a Reese's Pieces. Oh, my God. That would not happen today. Oh, I got to see that again. It's so good. Definitely. Again, like, I also found out that, you know, if, uh, on the uh, the Halloween night that they went out in costume, yeah. they put, you know, they put the ghost sheet over him. Yeah. And they see a Yoda. Yeah. That was intentional. Was or wasn't? Was. Lucas and Spielberg are, oh, you know, best friends for 50 years a, now. It was an Easter egg. It was totally. And then they paid it off in one of the prequels because in the Senate where Yoda's talking, there's like an E.T. consulate in oh the Senate. Oh, my God. I know I know exactly what. I think that was episode two. Yeah. Oh, that's They were just so in, the, in the Senate and yeah. there's an E.T. consulate there. <laughs> Paying off something from 1982. Wow, when, that's so, so cool. So E.T. saw Yoda and like, oh, I know you guys. Oh, that is awesome, man. That's very cool. Yeah, so. Well, you talked about uh, attention span and, and how the kids kind of had a different experience with that. But I think attention span is one thing that 
it's a whole topic that could be explored right now because on one hand we live in this fast-paced society where I mean the kids are just inundated with things they're always on to the next thing it's quick it's fast everything's in little short TikTok versions of, yes. of life right but a really good friend of mine, Todd Hartley, he's the CEO of Wirebuzz, a big time marketing, content marketing guru and sales guru. And he shined a spotlight on what he calls binge worthy content. Mm. Because in this world where everybody's attention span is so short, it is funny how a season will drop on Netflix. And if the content is good enough, you'll binge it. I mean, you'll spend hours and hours right. and hours totally guilty sucked into it. Totally guilty. Everybody is. So it's, I don't know that it's a, it's an attention span issue. I think it's more evolving the content and just making things worth people's time, which is so limited and kind of bite size now, right. now more so than ever. It's kind of like intellectual sloppiness on demand. Yeah. On our demand. Yeah. On Not our when demand. it's available. Exactly. Yeah. I'm just going to spend the next six days watching every episode of sex in the city and just like that, I heard Big died. We should watch this. Thank you, Peloton. Not a sponsor. Oh, my God. That's great. So I want to we can therapize a lot. Everyone listening knows that Offscript Health is a relatively new company and we had you in the show. And if they didn't listen to your episode, we'll put a link in the description because they have to yeah. listen to the episode. But I met you. Actually, you stalked me, I, I believe. Did. Yeah. When I don't know how or where that chemistry happened and we became like best friends in, a, in an hour, perhaps fast, yeah. but you really help me understand this new world of the private sector. Mm. I'm a nonprofit guy. I, I had an employer at Omnicom for years. I did some independent stuff, but it was just kind of me. Mm. And this whole world, like we're lurching into like, you know, startup therapy, I yeah. guess. Oh yeah, here we go. And that mental health nonsense and craptus. And you've been doing this a long time. Mm. And what is it? Is it addictive? What happens when you decide I'm going to just keep making and selling and acquiring companies? It's very addictive. It's a roller coaster ride. It's an experience where on any given day, it could be the bluest, clearest sky, greatest day ever. And the very next day, it's scorched fucking earth. <laughs> and, right. And, and there's something exhilarating about that. There's something addicting to that. You hear the term serial entrepreneur. And to me, that's just an entrepreneur. Any entrepreneur who does it once will always do it over and over and over. You can't not do it. So yeah, I, I would I would say it's a totally addictive experience. And so much so that in the world that we live right now, the access to data, the access to technology, the access to capital, there's just no shortage of problems that can be solved. And, you know, that just creates this rich universe of opportunity for people that have that burning desire and that sort of inner desire to create massive change, not incremental change, not a small business. But what startup truly is about is completely disrupting and displacing and complementing and enhancing things in very radical ways. And that's just a, if you've got that burning desire, if you're wired that way, there's no better time to be doing it. But it really is another version of survival of the fittest. You could have the best idea imaginable and fail at funding yeah. and fundraising. Right. You could have the crappiest project ever and make a shiny object deck and get $20 million. Right. How do you over under that? Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> Very frustrating. It is. To see these companies that are bragging about, we have 40 of this and $30 million series A. Right. 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 For 30? Right. Really? For 30? I got 30 million. What's wrong with you? That part's right. hard to handicap. I have to say, I've been in this long enough now where I'm, I've seen a lot of it. And 
there's sort of a way things have been done and people, they naturally kind of go to places where they think, oh, well, that's just the way it's been done. And you just keep doing it over and over. And one of the things that I found every VC that you meet, they all have their investment selection criteria and they're all exactly the same. Everybody will tell you the same thing. We invest in great teams. We invest in great people. And you it's know, a nice highway billboard. It is, right? And, and it's true. Obviously, no company is going to be successful without a great team and great people. We invest in assholes. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? So, but I, I never, that part seems, there's a lot more to that. And I think that's code for we're part of a certain circle from a certain group or a certain you know academic institution or university and we never play outside of that group or that circle or that that sort of you know little mafia right and i find that all the time and i mean literally that's how that's how theranos became about i mean she took not advantage a not a sponsor <laughs> not existent yes but she took advantage of that world she took advantage of the fact that she had she was sort of the token stanford dropout the next bill gates she dressed the part she talked the part she was able to secure big name notable people into a scientific advisory board for her and then everybody looked at that and said oh well if they're involved then must be great and they just fell in line i mean they were a 9 billion dollar company by the time the the bottom fell out of that and she just played that game i, I think there's it's tricky i mean that's a black swan outlier totally is there's no there's no doubt about that but it does make you question you know why aren't we focusing more on the data? Why aren't we focus more on a technology or the science or whatever it is first, and then evaluate whether you think there's a, a good, competent, capable team? That, to me, I think is something I'd like to see more more of. I'm still in like this venom state where I'm trying to pull off the nonprofit version of me from the past yeah. and reconcile that money is more important than purpose. I hate that that's the way it is. It bothers me that we are a very purpose-driven, I'm a very purpose-driven human being. You know, what you're doing, I just to let the listeners know, I'm gonna paraphrase, but like you have this company that makes a biopsy that can actually help you not get sick. Like, what a great idea. Why isn't that a thing that just exists? And take the business out of it, that's real purpose. Right. It can actually help real people. But unless this makes a ton of money and gives me a 200% return on what I give you, I don't care about it. How do you reconcile that? How do you, how do you, like at three in the morning, you just want to like punch a kitten? <laughs> I would not ever harm animals. Um, I just put that on the record. Okay. But, you know, I don't know. I, I think about it a little bit differently. I think I'm, I'm wired more as a stakeholder capitalist at heart. So, um, you know, again, I mentioned data, technology, capital. There's enough of those things out there. There's enough data. There's enough computational power to drive down costs, to make things scalable. And I just, you know, one of my, one, you know, a tagline, whether it's on our website or social media or a, a deck that I created, but it's profit and purpose no longer have to be mutually exclusive, especially when it comes to our health. And I feel that very strongly about that. And so I don't look at the business side of it as an evil piece of it. I look at it as a way to unlock all the purpose. It's just a, it's a tool, right? It's a mechanism for doing that. And, and I think if we play 
if we organize those pieces the right way, where we strip out a lot of the traditional time and the cost and the risk, then we can accelerate the creation of better solutions, better products that are scalable. And you can create a hell of a lot of money doing it because you're now doing things at scale. And so I think that they, there's no reason for one or the other that, you know, in the world that we live in right now. I mean, my head goes to some pop culture reference, like in the movie Cliffhanger. At the start, he loses his daughter, but at the end, he saves the woman. But they're dangling by a thread. Like, she's right there. Yeah. Right. That's where my head's at. We're right there. Why can't we just get that extra millimeter to grab it? Right. Right. A lot of that comes down to just perseverance, building the right team and coalitions of the right right partners that that can push the idea across that threshold. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. You can only do it, your personal drive and personal passion and personal appreciation for the purpose will only go so far. You have to build the coalition of team members and partners. And that's, you know, look, I think that's a big part of why we become such fast friends, because we're both very purpose driven. We both realize that there's a lot of other components of, about the business that need to be done to unlock that purpose. And here we are trying to help each other do that. All right, quick break, and we'll be right back. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. So I started watching Severance on Apple TV. I don't think I've seen it. It's really bizarre, but it's kind of, it's it's idiopathically, psychologically ridiculous. It takes place in like this hybrid 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s mixed bag of culture. <laughs> but it's, the premise is that you get a chip implanted in your head when you agree to work for this particular weird company that we will, I guess, find out more about as the season progresses. And... What the chip does is it, it turns off your memory when you enter the building. Hmm. So when you work, 
you don't remember anything because when you leave the building, you get to live your life. So the burden, the of, ultimate NDA. Yeah, <laughs> literally, that's exactly what it is. It's the world's greatest NDA. But the the sell and the pitch to people is like, you know, why ever carry the burden and baggage of, of your job into your real life? Live your real life as authentically as possible. Hmm. And of course, like skullduggery and suicide and some weird crap happens. But just the idea, not that I, I would ever want to have the ultimate NDA, I suppose. Just being able to turn off the frustration mm. when you get home. I had a nurse on the show recently. She had cancer as a nurse. So when the oncology nurse gets cancer and I said, you know, before you got sick, you're dealing with kids with cancer every day. How do you turn that off? Can right. you turn that off? And, you know, not apples to apples per se, but Every day, it's a no, it's a frustration. It's how do you not get it? And then you get home and you just want to be yourself with your kids. Right. Do you face that? Yeah, well, we, we all face that in entrepreneur land. It's gotten harder, though, because there's no commute anymore, right? Right. The, oh, wow, the, yeah. The commute was like a big part of the the unwinding and the, the re-entry mode. So, you know, you shut your laptop in your master bedroom after a Zoom meeting because you're hiding from, you know, the dog barking and the Amazon guy ringing your doorbell five times a day. And you walk downstairs and you're just in it. You know, you're in your family and you're in all of the things that actually matter. And your kids see the furred brow and they're like, what's wrong? And like, yeah. And just, you know, I've had those moments where I could feel the distance in my own eyes. And I hate that feeling. It happens. It's inevitable. And I think... Just constantly trying to find things that that allow you to still remain creative, but aren't completely related to the business. And I think that whether that's finding peace in nature, in a hike, we live in Southern California, I love to go to the ocean. I don't go in the cold, dark, shark infested ocean, but, but, I, but I do take sort of inspiration and feel a sense of uh, what's the way to, let me, let me put this differently. When I put myself into big, large spaces, open ocean, 180 degree views as far as you can, as far as the eye could see with nothing out there, the frustration of the little problems that are so close to home feel a lot less important because they're in the context of something so big and something so vast. And, you know, I know I'm getting pretty deep here, but I'm introspective this way in you see the vastness of something, and I see the hope and the possibility in that vastness. And there's some people that just are not wired that way. I, I am wired that way. And so when I start to feel tense on those things, you know, the business, the short, the short-term things that are just kind of keeping you up and like driving you crazy, I purposely put myself in those positions to try to get that reset and put it into context and, and to kind of inject that sense of hope and and that possibility again during the pandemic that was really hard because you couldn't go anywhere and so right so but now we're starting to you know get back to that point where the more you can put yourself in that i think i think it helps it helps smooth some of that out i mean you could also go stir crazy realizing that we are just meat on a rock floating in space infinitely forever like what does that even mean that makes no sense i don't get it you know, don't go too neil degrasse tyson on yourself staring yeah. at the stars yeah but at the same time, then you go watch like, uh, I don't know, like uh, Multiverse of Madness or something like yeah. that. And you're like, what is really going on? That's sort of the interesting dichotomy of it. So on one hand, we're, you know, pieces of meat floating around in, on a rock in the middle of the universe. On the other hand, every action that we take, we actually see 
a reaction, right? So every action, every thought, every idea. Are every, you going all thermodynamics on me? I think I think I am. Okay. So you see the impact of, that you're actually having in somebody's life or on a business or you know in your community and. It, you're not so insignificant. So there's, on one hand, this vast feeling of total insignificance, and then there's great significance. It's hard to find that balance. Have you ever just wanted to have a day job? When I was in finance, and I didn't feel a whole lot of purpose in the work that I was doing in finance, making a lot of money, pretty good at it, there were a lot of times where I'd be driving my beautiful car past you know, some road workers doing construction, and I'd just look at the simplicity of wearing a hard hat and pushing a button on a jackhammer, <laughs> and I would actually feel a little jealous. And I'm like, here I am with nothing to complain about, uh, but I wish I sort of had that simplicity in my life. That was the only time I felt that way. The work I do today is so much more purposeful and it's so much more intentional that I don't feel that way anymore. But, uh, but I have felt that way. It was a, and it was weird. I haven't shared that with anybody because it's, you know, it seemed kind of crazy and spoiled and selfish. Yeah. Um, I mean, but to channel my judge and office space, that's kind of what they did when they burned the building down. They all went to work in construction. (laughs) There's something about working with your hands and going home, washing your hands and the job's over. So that's the point. You know, there's sort of a shutoff there that people like us don't have. But if you're doing what you love, it's worth it. You have a personal strategy on how to deal with rejection. And I mean rejection in the emotional sense that you have to separate out. And this is just me for my whole life. Rejection, rejection. Mm. I'm a musician. I want applause on the stage. How do you apply that to venture capital or raises or clients or whatever, you know, they're not really rejecting me as a person. They're rejecting a business opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I've always had a problem conflating that. And that's sort of been my, my corporate counsel therapy. Personal strategy for dealing with it. I mean, dealing with it, uh, accepting it as a, as a known variable, accepting it as a constant in the equation. So if it's accepted and it's a constant, then when it happens, it's just, it's part of the equation, right? right? So if you if you aren't accepting of that fact, then it's going to hurt every single time. That's sort of, you know, what I would say is, is kind of a personal strategy for that. But I mean, look, I got rejected by my wife every day to be my girlfriend. I asked her every day in the sixth grade. I sort of backed off to like every other day in seventh grade, kind of backed off, you know, a little bit more through eighth grade. But she didn't say yes to be my girlfriend until junior year of high school. So it was a six-year period of that is some adolescent persistence of persistence and you know a lot of rejection but finally worked out and you know we've been together ever since almost 20 years so and you look great on instagram (laughs) i mean and it's and it it worked it was you just celebrate something it was worth it yeah 19 years wow 19 years from the day that she said yes to be my girlfriend on april 25th around 10 30 at night on the corner of the boston post road and south pine creek road in fairfield connecticut she said yes in my ford focus and she said yes, and we've been together literally uninterrupted 19 years since that day. So we celebrated that. And so you have a yes anniversary, a, a first date anniversary, yeah. yeah. an engage anniversary, yeah. a wedding anniversary. And I mean, look, the 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 love at first sight was sort of the the sight anniversary. Right? Yeah, and that's what started. What grade sixth grade. Wow. Yeah, my oldest is nine. So to think in like two years she could potentially meet the love of her life that's a little creepy yeah my twins are in (laughs) sixth grade as we speak and that is hyper creepy it's really creepy but it worked look the point is it was worth it and you know 
there was a rejection along the way, but I didn't give up because I knew, you know, deep down that it was the right thing and it was worth it. And so those are just the strategies. Accept it as a constant. As long as it's worth it, keep freaking going, keep pushing, keep knocking, keep grinding. And, and, and I think another personal strategy would be you could figure out sort of who gets it and who doesn't really quick. And, you know, the moment you try to get into the business of converting people, it's just going to be a long and, and painful road. Find the ones that get it. Build a coalition of people around that, you know, the people that get it. Figure out what it is that they got and then start kind of building that into your story. Yeah, the I don't get it is from Big. Remember, he just says, he figures out what a transformer is. Yeah. Like, what if a bug turns into a robot? And the other, and, and Elizabeth Perkins' boyfriend goes batshit. I don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. it. It bothers me when people don't get something that at least I think or my team would think. It's so obvious. This just makes sense. What's wrong? It's a six-sided die. That's right. what it is. Right. Like, I don't get it. I, you, so you roll it and it has numbers on it? Tell me why that's important. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you're working on some stuff that is probably very easily misunderstood because it's really ahead of its time. Yeah. All of your portfolio companies are trying to bring shit to patients. That never existed before. That just never existed before. And we talked about this on the show with, with Liz. Uh, Liz Cormier-May is the CEO of Mamagen, one of your, your portfolio companies. Phenomenal human being. Super shout out to Liz. But this idea of like, if there's something that could help you not die, why does it take so goddamn long to yeah. get there? Yeah, I know. I know. It's frustrating. We're getting there pretty quick. I mean, all things considered, yes, you Yeah, are. all things considered, we are getting there pretty quick. Actually, our, our breast cancer test is very likely to be ready to deploy into clinical trials by the end of this summer. That'll be the first one going into an actual clinical utility trial followed by lung and, and liver disease. So we're making great progress on it, but still it takes, it feels like it takes forever. I mean, I've now lost two relatives to lung cancer. We lost one very, very dear friend to breast cancer at 30 years old. And I've got some family and some friends that very clearly have some version of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. That weighs on me pretty heavy, man. I mean, where we're at today and across all of our businesses, we got in industry standards should have taken us about 10 years and should have cost somewhere between a hundred and almost a billion dollars in R&D. We got here in less than three years on less than 5 million in capital. It's a big win. But when you look at two uncles died from lung cancer, you look at one best friend died of breast cancer at 30, you look at friends developing non-alcoholic fatty liver disease with no approved therapeutic and no way to detect it, no way to easily diagnose it. I'm sitting here saying like, yeah, okay, we did, you know, we shaved off 70% of the time and 99% of the cost, but it's still not enough. We've got to get things to a point where they're accelerating even further so that we can get in front of some of these issues. Right. Well, the Moore's law of this is, is if that's an appropriate way to look at it like, the, like the human genome used to take a year and a billion dollars. Now it's like right. on, in Walgreens yeah. know, for like yeah. 10, yeah. For 10 bucks. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so the Moore's law-ishness that you've manifested with these companies even if that is the way of progression and we can like the, the next version of this could be, you know, a year and whatever, you still need the people mm. who are going through the shitness to be on these tests. Yeah. And in modern day cacophony of literacy and diversity and health equity and really important things that we, we didn't even think about 10, 15, 20 years ago, this idea of better problems to have. Yeah. My frustration still stems on the how the hell do people know shit exists? Mm -hmm. Well, a platform like 
what you've built is a big part of that. I yeah. mean, it's a one of the, I think it's the the number one reason we became friends so quickly because I view it the exact same way. There are so much innovation happening, but it's happening within the closed doors of the you know the ivory towers within an academic institution where you know these researchers are phenomenal at what they do and they're great at patting each other on the back. But walk into Starbucks and nobody's ever heard of half of these things, and it's like okay. We've got to find a way to bridge that divide, bridge the innovation with the awareness. And, you know, that's a big part of what we're focused on doing. It's a big part of why we try and Liz and I spend a lot of time talking to, you know, breast cancer advocacy groups and survivor groups and, you know, all different types of networks of real people that have real risk of real disease. And we try to educate them on real future solutions so that by the time they're at the, you know, into we're into the market, we've got a community that understands and is ready to go. We are doing that in a pretty unique way. Liz may not want me to share this because she'll probably want to debut it in a in a bigger way, but I'm going to well, do I mean, it This is going to air in 2027, so it's okay. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, she has been quietly building something behind the scenes at Mamagen called Mamagen Marketplace. And think of this as like goop for healthcare. So a the, better goop, I hope. A better goop, a, little, like a, a, vaginal, a less raunchy group. Va- vaginal fans and all these weird things. A lot yeah. less raunchy. Not sponsored by goop. But a community. And so it's a marketplace where initially we'll just be selling merch, right? It'll be branded logo gear with our hashtags, our logo, our hashtags, our slogans, things that you know are comfy and cool and sort of trendy and fun to wear. Yes, they're fake. My real ones tried to kill me. <laughs> yeah. A really, really... That that shirt sold really well in the 2000s. I don't know how, how, how well it aged, but that was the shirt in the 2000s. Oh, my God. We should actually bring that back and throw it on the marketplace. I, I can't imagine there being any IP with it. I think we can do it. I think it's a great idea. Well, the, the flagship sort of product on the marketplace will be what we call the pink robe killer. And that was inspired because a lot of breast cancer survivors that we talked to complained about when they get their mammogram, they're given this pink shitty hospital gown that you know is uncomfortable it's well, like it's one ply for... toilet paper first and foremost oh yeah without question it's one it's just pink one ply yeah and and it bugs them and they're like it's just awkward they think it's like cute because it's pink but i'm really like i'm terrified to get my mammogram i don't want to be there it's uncomfortable and so we came up with the idea of a pink robe killer which is a comfy plush you know zip up hoodie a bright, shocking pink, so a more bold kind of stance. That you can wear to your mammogram? That you can wear to your mammogram. Wow. And so I could envision this as sort of almost like a like a partial gag gift for a woman who's turning 40 where you're now eligible for your mammogram. Mm-hmm. So, hey, it's sort of a cute, fun, comfy thing. It's kind of a joke at the same time because, oh, you're 40 now. It's time to get your mammogram. But it's actually driving awareness to to screening. And so a big part of us is just trying to drive awareness to that women buy that product, a certain percentage of the proceeds of the product sold through the Mamagen marketplace will fund our research and development, which actually accelerates the time for an actual viable product that people want and can use. And the other percentage of the proceeds we're actually going to dedicate towards building and funding our community-based efforts. So one survivor told us that when she got breast cancer, everybody gives them, gives, gave her gift cards. They all brought food. They all brought things to like make her you know, sort of take the sting out of that that diagnosis out and she complained about it and she said look it was really thoughtful it was really nice but the reality was i really needed that food and those gift cards on my chemo days because on my chemo days i was a shell of a human being yeah 
and I couldn't cook for my kids. And so, you know, it would have been great if somebody brought soup to my house on my chemo days. So Liz and I have been just keeping a running log of these things that we've heard from real people dealing with this. And, and we've got, you know, every intention of being able to fund as much of that, whether it's funding the soup uh, and trying to create these pop-up communities of women that can help each other throughout the entire journey of, you know, pre-vivorship to survivorship to thrivership and be able to support that across the way. Now you're making way. words up. But now I am. But, <laughs> but now, but, you know, but that's, that's an example of that profit and purpose intersection. Yes. They're not mutually exclusive. And actually, you know, think about what we're doing there. The Mamagen marketplace will fuel the community and the community will fuel our market adoption. And so now there's this feedback loop of you know, this very positive and purposeful feedback loop that where everybody wins. I mean, that's something that nobody's doing in healthcare. I can tell you that they're not doing it in diagnostics. Most diagnostics companies, the last interaction you have with them is a bill and, <laughs> and that's it. And we're, we're breaking the mold on a lot of that stuff. So... I don't know how I got there, but <laughs> I, hey, tangent, I don't remember what you said. Tangents work here on the show. But, you know, uh, but I, you know, the point is just thinking outside the box, thinking creatively. Oh, and driving awareness. I mean, yeah. and doing it, you know, creating a, a world where normal people actually know about this stuff. I want to end with a quick story, a really inspiring story. This goes back to the influence of customers and consumers and patients uh, in policy. You mentioned 40 years old for mammograms. So it didn't used to be that way. If the listeners are not aware, mammograms were 50. And that was because the tech didn't exist to find anything with denser breast tissue, which is what you have right. when you're younger. And in 2012, as part of Obamacare, ACA was passed, and there was a, a, a sub-legislative thing shoved in there called the Early Act that Debbie Wasserman Schultz, the former head of the DNC, when she got breast cancer, she realized, oh, I got to do something. I'm not 50. So... Among many things, the bill guaranteed covered reconstruction benefits for the rest of your life mm. if you have mastectomies and whatnot. But more importantly, it lowered the screening to 40 mm -hmm. and required the diagnostics companies to change their tech to detect denser breast tissue, not like 30-year-old breast tissue, but 40-year-old right. breast tissue. Mm -hmm. So here's here's the story. I have a dear friend of mine who I've known a long time now. She's a award-winning health journalist for many, many years. Had a mammogram on her 40th birthday and they found something and she's fine now. Mm. But if she had to wait till 50, she'd be dead. Yeah. So in as much as it is so critical to build these communities, channeling these communities for activations in federal protections mm. is so important to all of us because that's the one thing that eliminates so many bullshit variables of making sure people get these tests People die less, people suffer less, and everybody wins. Yeah, totally agree. But understanding the limitations, right? There's, you know, to your point, women with, you know, women under 40 have very dense breast tissue. And mm -hmm. because of that, that, sub, that sort of demographic of women, the mammogram, even digital mammography is only about 47% sensitive. Right. So, so, you know, unlocking that and, you know, and unlocking screening and making eligibility, lowering eligibility even further, just poses a massive risk, not just in false negatives, sending people away that, you know, actually have it. And, you know, you tell them that they don't and they do, but also the risk of false positives and being pushed through a system of completely unnecessary biopsies and expensive procedures. So we need right. to find that balance. We're finding that balance. Um, 
by intentionally designing non-invasive tests that are highly accurate, but also affordable and scalable right. that could say, hey, you know what? You're not technically eligible for mammogram yet, but your blood work or your saliva work came back positive. And so you probably should go in for the full imaging workup, you know, mammogram, ultrasound, MRI, and get you in there much earlier. And, uh, you know, that's that's how we're approaching it. And I think once we establish some baseline data that suggests that we've ruled more of the right people in and we've ruled more of the wrong people out, then I think that unlocks a lot more of sort of the, the government funding and the eligibility requirements and things will change. We'll push the yeah. limits of that. We're going we'll to push this show as a bonus episode because just this week, listeners, it, so this will be like next week, but last week, based on <laughs> whatever today is, uh, we did a show with exact sciences and profiled Kuligard. Hmm because that's a great way to know if you're at risk of something before you get it when you may not be eligible for a, for a colonoscopy. The same model of, again, we're, we're therapizing as serial entrepreneurs that are just entrepreneurs, right? If you can solve a problem that no one else is trying to solve, we really, really want to do it. Mm. And just getting there, even if it took you like a tenth the time as it would have taken 10 years ago, just getting to that last moment where you see the person who benefits, like my friend who had her mammogram yeah. at 40, that's why we do this. Yeah. And that's the driving force, and it's inversely proportional to the frustrations yeah. of getting there. Yep, totally. Yeah. It is. It's, it's, uh, it's an inspiring way to end. Yeah. It is. Are we done? No, uh, we don't have to be done, but that ties it together yes. pretty well. <laughs> no, it really does. I mean, yeah, I mean, we ran over for all the right reasons, and I'm really, hey, I'm just thrilled to see you in person you my too, man and again like i love having like no real agendas and I, if people are still listening at this point <laughs> to, the, to the episode thank you for sticking around but no he's just like two, fun. two dads chiming on crazy shit how'd we get here what are we doing here you know paying homage to people we've lost people we loved and uh like i said just the best kind of therapy is exactly this and look stay hopeful stay positive stay perseverant and remind yourself because I remind myself this a lot. I, I have to remind myself actually more than I would like to, but I do. And that is that I am a husband and a father who happens to be an entrepreneur, not an entrepreneur who happens to be a father and a husband. So I got to change my LinkedIn profile. Got to change it. And you got to <laughs> you know make sure you're constantly putting that in check because really at the end of the day, if you're winning at work, but you're losing at home, nobody's really winning. So Marty Kaiser. Thanks for coming back. Good seeing you, man. All right. Take care. You too. That's all for now. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Tell us what you'd like Matthew to cover in his next episode by leaving a message for us at 855-AUDIO-66, and we might just use it in a future show. Out of Patience is a product of Offscript Health. We are a healthcare engagement company built for patients and caregivers by patients and caregivers. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. Our senior producer is Betsy Shepard. Our host is Matthew Zachary. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Betsy Shepard. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscriptnot.com. That's media at offscript.com. For more information, visit offscript.com.